Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Muckoff and PNW Components, and we've got a great competition and a discount code for you this month. PNW Components think about things a little differently to a lot of other brands, and as a result, they've got a product offering that's stacked with awesome, well-engineered components, like the Loam Lever Dropper Remote, which in my opinion is the best on the market. With the range handlebar, PNW set out to design something that works in unison with a move to longer reach and wider bars. They've chosen a 10 degree back sweep and 5 degree up sweep to give the range handlebar a more ergonomic riding position that's easier on your shoulders and reduces wrist fatigue. That's paired with a compliant 2014 aluminium which resembles carbon fibre's chatter absorbing qualities. Add a 30mm rise into the mix and the PNW Components range handlebar creates the perfect blend for your most demanding rides. And unlike most things in the bike industry, they're actually in stock and available now. Head to pnwcomponents.com now and find out more. Muckoff have the ultimate range of post-wash products. First off, choose the right lube for the conditions you're riding in. Muckoff have got you covered with wet and dry lubes, and if you want to reduce friction and extend the life of your drivetrain even longer than the base lubes, then you can use their ceramic lubes, which help further reduce metal-to-metal contact. Then you've got silicon shine, which is awesome. Spray this stuff on metal, plastic, and rubber parts, and it makes them look brand new and helps stop the mud sticking to them, which reduces the need for cleaning and maintenance. Now that's all good, but spray this stuff on the stanchions of your shock and your forks, and you'll reduce friction, making your suspension feel silky smooth. Ever finish a ride and your bike's a bit dirty, but it doesn't really warrant a full-on wash? Well, Muckoff have thought about this, and they've made their waterless wash. Spray it on and it kind of loosens any muck and it wraps it up so that you can wipe it off your bike with a microfiber cloth without scratching the paintwork, all whilst giving your bike a lovely shine. Perfect for cleaning your bike for a finals run at a downhill race or between practice and race days at an enduro so your bike is 100% race ready. To give you a chance to try the muck off range, they're kindly offering 20% off to all downtime listeners. All you need to do is to use the code DOWNTIME20. That's DOWNTIME, all uppercase, followed by the number 20, with no spaces, at the checkout over on muckoff.com. It's a single use per customer, so make sure you make the most of it. It doesn't apply to sale items, but it covers everything else. So hit up muckoff.com and see what you need. Muckoff are also kindly giving away a bike-specific pressure washer bundle, and all you need to do to be in with a chance to win one is to answer one super easy question over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash muckoff. That's muck dash off. Head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash muckoff now and enter. You've got until the end of June to get it done. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. Please make sure you're giving us a follow on whatever platform you listen. There's probably a button there that says follow or subscribe so hit that now it's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it's available if you can't find the button then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe where there's links to all the major platforms to help you it'd also be great if you can give me a follow on instagram and facebook where i'm at downtime podcast it's a great place to keep up to date with what's going on and it's always really nice to hear from you in the comments and messages there so keep them coming all right, your tyres are the only part of your bike in contact with the ground and they're the first part of your suspension system, so they are super important. Modern tyres are pretty complicated, so I sat down with Aaron Chamberlain from Maxis to find out more about them. Tread pattern, compound, bead, casing, puncture protection, width, pressures, we discuss it all. Tyre selection is critical and hopefully this conversation will help you make the right choices. So without further ado, here's Aaron Chamberlain. Aaron Chamberlain, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Things are great. Thanks for having me, Chris. 
Oh, no, it's a pleasure. So um, obviously we're going to be talking all things Maxis and tyres and trying to dig into that a bit more and help people understand what's going on in the modern world of tyres because things have moved on quite a lot. But before we do that, just give us a little bit of background on yourself so people kind of know where you came from. I guess to start off with, just tell us a little bit about how you got into mountain biking and discovered the sport. Uh, sure. Well, I've always been into riding bikes ever since I was a little kid. It was always just a way to explore, uh, explore the city. I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. So, um, as an urban setting, but even back in the day, I was taking my Schwinn Stingray on trails and, you know, behind the school and wherever I could find them. So it's kind of always been there. Um, and I always rode bikes, not really seriously, um, but I always had a bike around. Um, and then after college, uh, was actually during college was really when I, I fell in love with trail riding and started riding mostly XC stuff. And then I got really into XC racing and endurance racing, um, for, for several years. And I don't race a whole lot anymore, mostly just, just ride trail, but, um, yeah, it's, it's my favorite thing to do. Nice. How far did you go with the whole racing side of things then? Did it get pretty serious? Uh, I mean, pretty serious for me. I was not, uh, <laughs> I started, I started racing fairly late. Um, so, and you know, initially like I didn't have a coach or a training plan or anything like that. I was just kind of winging it. So it was a couple of years of, you know, sport class racing and, uh -huh. um, you know, figuring out race tactics and nutrition and all that kind of stuff uh, kind of on my own. And then, um, yeah, then I got a little bit more serious, like upgraded to the what expert class, like cat, I guess it'd be like cat two or something uh -huh. like that. Um, and spent, uh, half of, half of the season, uh, you know, at, at the, the back of the field mostly. And, um, <laughs> just basically, it was such a big jump up from the, from the sport class racing. Like our races were, uh, about 50% longer. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, it was a, a big adjustment, but yeah, by the end of the year I was like, you know, top five, top 10 regularly. So Sweet. it was, uh, yeah, I had my little moments here and there, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, nothing, uh, yeah, no, no like big victories or anything like that. So did you ever kind of visualize yourself becoming a professional athlete or was that never something that was really on your mind? No, it never, never was. Um, you know, maybe if I had, you know, gotten into racing earlier on, it might've been different, but, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I didn't, didn't get, like I said, I didn't get really serious about things until, you know, my probably around the age of 20 or so. So, okay. um, yeah, it, it was, you know, like, I won't lie and say I never had dreams of <laughs> making it somehow, but, uh, but, but no, uh, there's never, ne never any serious thought given to it. Yeah. Fair play. And what were you up to kind of academically? Did you have a view as to what you wanted to do outside and away from sport kind of in the career side of things? Well, initially I, uh, wanted to be an architect or at least I thought okay. I did. Um, so that was, that was my plan, um, after high school here. And I, I went to, uh, went to college, went to an art school, um, and studied architecture, but it just wasn't a good fit. I don't know if, you know, perhaps if I had gone to, um, the, just the art school wasn't a good fit. So I don't know uh -huh. if, you know, if I had gone to a different school for architecture, if that would have made a difference, but, um, yeah, I just didn't really like the program. Didn't, 
didn't really like art school. And, um, so yeah, dropped out. So I'm an art school dropout and, uh, <laughs> eventually, uh, yeah, decided I, I needed to, needed to do something with my life. So I went back to, to business school here in the States and, um, and got a degree in marketing cause it's still, uh, you know, I felt like it was very practical on the one hand, but also still allowed for a large degree of creativity, um, yeah. which was important to me. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of how I ended up uh, studying marketing. And, um, then I was just fortunate enough after school to, you know, come across this job at Maxis, um, as the, the, uh, what was, what was I called a marketing specialist, I believe back in the day. Okay. Um, and I saw that as a way to, you know, combine my, my schooling on one hand and my passion on the other. So, um, yeah, so it's been, uh, it's been about 10 years now that I've worked in the, in the bike industry. So it's been, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's my career, my whole life now. Yeah. So have you been at Maxis that whole time then since you, since you finished the qualification? Uh, no. So I was there for five years initially. So I worked there from 2010 to 2015. Uh-huh. And then I, I left for three years. I went and worked at a uh, single tracks.com actually. Okay. Uh, and did a variety of things there. Did a lot of writing, which I really enjoyed. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, reviews, destination features, industry news, anything, you know, uh, so, um, yeah, really enjoyed my time there and, um, was like, like I said, I was there for three years and was just kind of ready for something different and had started poking around, looking at different jobs. And my old manager at Maxis just reached out out of the blue and was, you know, like, well, what would you think about coming back in a managerial role and, you know, kind of running the, the whole, uh, bicycle and power sports marketing side of things for Maxis. And, uh, yeah, took it. So that was, uh, that was three years ago this February. So, okay. So nice. eight years at Maxis, um, and then three years of single. So yeah, I guess 11 years now in, the in the industry. <laughs> so what, yeah, what's your current job title then? And what does that actually involve? Um, well, my, what you see on my business card is a uh, assistant marketing manager, uh, uh-huh. because I also have man, uh, I'm the assistant manager of the marketing department, okay. um, overall here in the U S but, um, really, I mean, what I do is, you know, I pretty much manage the global marketing for Maxis bicycle products. So, um, so it's, That's it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. It's a big job. You know, obviously we've got, um, you know, we make tires for everything, um, you know, every type of bicycle and then pretty much any type of vehicle that takes a pneumatic tire, we make a tire for it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's challenging, but it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I get, I, I love all types of bikes. Mountain biking is by far my favorite, but you know, I ride on the road, I ride cyclocross, I've, you know, raced at the velodrome. Um, I've got a dirt jump bike recently to, you know, find a new way to hurt myself. So, (laughs) um, so yeah, so, uh, yeah, but I, I, yeah, I manage, so I manage the, the marketing for, uh, for all bicycle tires, not, not just the mountain bike stuff. Fair play. So how have you got a team of people that work for you and help out across all of that? That sounds like a massive role. It is. We're actually a really small team though. I I think, you know, Maxis is a, is a huge company globally. Um, 
but the the bicycle part is actually you know fairly small portion of our overall business um which is crazy to think when you think about how ubiquitous we are on the mountain bike side of things um that you know we but the volume of like car tires and stuff that we sell worldwide just totally overshadows the the bicycle side so um we have um uh a fairly small team here. I have a uh, actually a new marketing coordinator who just started yesterday. So, nice. um, welcome, Sai, to the Max's family. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he helps me out on the with the various day to day stuff, managing the social media, um, and then the bike sales team here has some people. So there's a little bit of crossover. So we have yeah. like a sponsorship coordinator on the bicycle sales team that we work with a lot. Um, and then obviously the rest of the customer service, uh, side of the sales team as well. So, um, all in all, I would say in the U S I think we have about, there's probably only seven or eight of us in the, that like comprise the, the entire marketing and sales bike department. Wow. Yeah. yeah. For the size, for, the, for how many tires it feels like there are out there with Maxis written on them. That sounds like a pretty small team, but yeah, fair play. Let's, well, let's talk a little bit about those tires. So, I mean, I think tires have been getting probably more and more complicated in recent years, but for good reason. Um, so yeah, let's try and dig into that a little bit. Maybe we should start with tread pattern. Cause I guess that's the, the easy thing to see when you look at a tire. So yeah, tell us a little bit about the the tread pattern, the kind of intricacies of the design and how that impacts the performance of the tire itself. Because there's quite a lot going on there just in the tread pattern itself, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I like to think of a tire as having like three kind of basic components. So you have the the construction overall, and that's that's like you know the bead, the casing, uh, the puncture protection, um, and then you have the tread pattern itself. And then you have the the rubber compound. So those are kind of like the three like key factors, I would say. Um, but tread pattern, yeah, that's that's the most visible, like you said, because um, you can just look at two tires. One might have very large knobs, you know, like tall knobs, wide, lots of spacing between them. Um, and then you have an XC tire. Like visually, those are very different. And even if you don't know anything about bicycles, like you can tell that something's going on there. Like these are obviously for different purposes and, you know, basically it's, you know, the, the smaller and tighter pack, the knobs, like that's for drier, faster conditions, your more XC, um, side of things. And then, you know, as you kind of scale up the knob size, the knobs get taller, they get a little broader, uh, a little more space between them. Then you're getting into the more trail territory, and then once you kind of cross over onto the enduro gravity side of things, um, you know, you're talking, uh, you know, the, the knobs are several, you know, several times larger than they are on a, uh, on a cross country tire. And the, just the different layouts are for, you know, different purposes. Like I said, the small, tightly packed knobs, that's for dry, fast conditions. And then the, the taller more spaced out knobs those are for you know loose conditions soft soil mud uh that kind of thing and the yeah the tread pattern um 
you know, it, it impacts everything. Like the way the knobs are shaped, if they're ramped, like that's, if you look at the knobs uh, from the side and they have like an angle to them, that's what we call those ramps. Um, you know, how ramped that knobs are, uh, how ramped those knobs are going to impact how well the tire rolls, both while you're pedaling and just coasting. Um, you know, how far apart those knobs are spaced also impacts your rolling speed. Um, and then they also impact your grip. And that could be your, you know, that can be your braking traction, that can be your cornering traction, that can be your climbing traction. So, yeah, a lot of stuff going on with the tread pattern, but. You know, the basics are like the bigger and chunkier the knobs, like the more aggressive use that tire is intended for. Yeah. And you get these little cuts kind of into the knobs on some tires that you see. What's the the thinking behind that? Yeah. So those we refer to those as sipes, um, S-I-P-E-S. So the, the sipes are there to essentially increase the the surface area of the knob when it's in contact with the ground. So if you think about, um, you know, you think if you have a knob with no slits in it, like when that knob hits the ground, it's only hitting that, that surface area that's on the top of the knob. But if that knob has a slit down the middle of it, like if you take a look at a minion DHF, um, you know, that there's a large site in the, like a deep channel, we call it channel cut in that one. Cause it's so deep. Um, but when that hits the ground, it's actually, splaying open and flexing the knob open so there's more surface area in contact with the ground so you're it's essentially like adding more rubber without adding the weight of more rubber if that makes okay sense. yeah 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 because this is all about trade-offs isn't it you're constantly trying to to trade things like grip versus rolling resistance versus braking performance where all of this stuff is is playing against each other, I guess, and you're trying to find an optimum somewhere in the, in between all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a big thing that, um, you know, everybody wants this, a unicorn tire. They want a tire that <laughs> rolls like a cross country tire and, you know, like has a weight of a cross country tire and, you know, somehow grips like our, our, you know, stickiest compound and corners and brakes like a, you know, an acid guy. But like I said, they want it to also weigh, 550 grams and you know be able to ride xc on it and it's just not like i mean anything like uh i mean bikes and anything you're choosing there's there's trade-offs to it you know um so right so basically everything's everything's a trade-off and you just have to decide what performance factors you value most do you do you value the rolling speed do you value the cornering traction or do you value the the braking traction the most and kind of where you net out on those things is gonna point you in the right direction of what what tire you should be on yeah can you can you give us a bit of insight then into how you go about designing and developing a new tread pattern and i guess kind of the, one of the more recent examples that a lot of people would be aware of is the Asagai, which was a, a a collaboration or a piece of work with greg minner yeah so there's basically kind of three different ways a new tread pattern could come about it could be um could be market demand so that meaning like um you know, people out there want it and there's a hole in our line and you know, we're, we're trying to fill it. It could be, um, you know, it could be responding to the competition in the marketplace. Like if somebody else has a new tire and we're like, okay, we need something to compete with that. We could develop a new product or kind of the third way is like, you know, internally where we're, we either want to start a whole 
fresh tire like we did with Greg with the Asagai or, you know, like with the shorty, that was, uh, you know, an internal, uh, project that of, a it was updating, um, an older tire, you know, updating uh-huh. the tread pattern. But, uh, yeah, with the Asagai in particular, I mean, obviously, you know, Greg's the goat, um, you know, he's, he's just, he's an amazing rider. He's been on Maxis for the majority of his career. And, um, yeah, we just, we had the opportunity to work with him on a, on a tread pattern and, um, and it's, it's worked out really well for, for everybody. I think, um, I think anyone who's ridden that tire, um, at least in its intended conditions will, will agree that it's, um, you know, it's, it's gotta be the grippiest tire that we make. Yeah. So where do you start with something like that then? Is it, is it literally like Greg sketching on the back of a fag packet kind of thing, some thoughts or is he sitting down with designers? How do you get to your first design concept? Yeah. So with Greg in particular, I believe that was, you know, discussions were had in place. Like, is this, is this something we can do? Um, you know, can we, uh, yeah is are both sides interested in this project and then from there it was kind of like what's your what's your wish list greg and so he kind of sent over like what what he liked about our current tires and what he you know what he felt we were missing or what he wanted to add to it um and then with greg yeah he like literally did a like napkin little like napkin sketch around the table and shared it with our engineers and they took that and you know turned it into a 2d drawing and then um, you know, we made tweaks from there and then take that 2d drawing, start printing out 3d models. Um, and you know, those can go through several, several iterations and yeah, once the, the 3d models are where we want them and the drawings are where we want them, everything's approved. Uh, then a mold is cut and that's when, uh, we start making an actual product. Yeah. So is that, is there a like a prototype mold process that you can use rather than a full production mold? Because I'm guessing the production mold for a tire is pretty expensive. They are very expensive. So yeah, you're talking, you know, several thousands of dollars at least per mold uh, per side. So and if you think about that, like you can only use that mold for like one particular size of a tire, right? So like yeah. a 2925 minion DHF mold, you can only make 2925 minion DHFs in, um, and only one tire in the mold at a time. So, um, so yeah, you can see how that adds up quick. Cause obviously, you know, it's not, we, we have several of these molds laying around. Um, so it's in our best interest to get it right the first time with the mold. Okay. So that's why we spend a lot of time, um, with the 3d modeling, uh, in particular, um, and, you know, getting those actual 3D printed samples and, and sharing them amongst the team is, is really important in the early stages of things. Because, like I said, and when you're spending all that money cutting a mold and it takes a long time as well, like you really want to get it right. And uh, and part of that is, you know, you, you can you can make changes to the mold. Like um, we actually had we made some slight revisions to the to the Asagai mold throughout the prototype phase. Uh, the important thing to remember is you can take material away from the mold, but you can't add it back in. So if you uh-huh. start out and you cut the knobs too tall, like you cut into the mold too deep and, you know, you get out there and you ride the tire and you're like, oh, these knobs are, you know, they're, they're too tall. They're flexing all over the place. Like it's just squirmy feeling like that mold's trash. You can't, 
Right. You can't go and backfill it and, you know, try to try to use it again. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's best to be a little bit conservative starting out. And, and like I said, cause you can always cut more off and, but you can't add back on. Yeah. What sort of things did you change then on the Asagai from like the first samples to the production version? Just, just some, like some of the knob shaping, um, a little bit of the, the knob sidewall support and some other little minor changes, um, that just helped with the manufacturing process to help the, the rubber flow, uh-huh. um, fully into the mold because there's if you've seen an assegai there's a lot of knobs on there it's a very yeah. very intricate tire there are a lot of knobs a lot of big knobs so that's a lot of rubber and um some of the earlier samples um you know we we're having issues where uh there'd be like the knob wouldn't flow all the rubber wouldn't flow all the way into one of the knobs and so you'd end up with like a you know slightly deformed knob basically um after it came out of the mold. So yeah, just some, you know, little, I, I'm not sure exactly what, the, I think it was, you know, basically like some adding some additional venting for that rubber to flow out during the, during the, the curing process. Yeah. So is that, is the venting the cause of those little like, uh, hairs, rubber yeah. hairs on the tire when you get a new tire, is that what they're there? It's like allowing the rubber to flow through the mold. Absolutely. So if you see a tire, uh, before it goes into a mold, it looks like a giant road slick. Like there's no, there's no tread pattern on it. Um, you know, every, it has, you'll have the casing. So you have the beads, um, you know, the casing, you have the rubber extrusion wrapped around the whole tire. Um, and it's, like I said, it looks like a giant balloon road tire. And then it goes into a mold, uh, where there's a bladder inserted, basically a tube. And that tube presses on the, uh, presses from the inside, presses outward uh-huh. uh, on the tire, presses that into the mold, heat's added, heat and pressure, and that's what squeezes that rubber, like causes the rubber to flow out into all those knobs. So, yeah, if you see any any of those little hairs on the side, those are the vents where the the, uh, the excess rubber is flowed out. Interesting. Yeah, I never really thought about where they come from. Yeah. It's, just, it's a good sign that your tire's bedding in when all the hairs have gone. Exactly. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the other elements of the tire then. So you mentioned bead there, and that's generally a relatively simple choice, I guess, between like a wire bead and a folding bead. What are the what's the thinking behind the two different options there? Um, wire bead is is very strong. Uh, it's 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 what we used to use on our downhill tires, kind of before uh-huh. the uh, technology was there with folding beads to. Um, you know, to, to be able to withstand, uh, the, the rigors of downhill racing. Um, so yeah, basically a wire bead, um, it's generally, they're a little, it's easier to manufacture. It's cheaper to manufacture. Uh, so the end product generally ends up being a lower price point. Um, but that said, we don't do very much wire bead at all anymore. Most, most anything we make with a wire bead is probably, um, yeah, it's probably for an OE customer. So for a, for a bike brand, for like a, you know, a kind of a lower to mid tier level bike. Um, and one, so part, part of it is the technology has just gotten better. So we're able to use folding beads across our entire line of tires now. And the other thing is particularly right now is, um, just packaging. You can, you can fit a whole lot more 
uh, folding bead tires in a box, in a container, in, in a ship, whatever, than yeah. you can wire bead. Um, so, I mean, I think, for instance, like it costs us, you know, um, uh, something like $15 US to, to ship a single wire bead tire to, you know, if someone ordered one off our e-store, for instance, and shipped yeah. it. And so, it, you know, that that's pretty pretty cost prohibitive especially right now so um so yeah so those are the basic bead types um we we have used carbon fiber as a bead material in the past um particularly on the the road side of things where you know you're running higher pressures um but the the technology on the aramid um beads has improved to the point where where we can use that uh, instead of the carbon fiber because carbon fiber it's it's obviously it's a lot more expensive to deal with it's or, or to you know it's a more expensive material um it's more difficult to manufacture and then the carbon beads are also more fragile so if you get someone who's really kind of ham-handed mechanic going at it with a with a tire liver lever they can they can essentially break the bead um <laughs> so uh, so yeah, so we don't, don't use carbon fiber. Uh, I don't think at all anymore. Um, yeah. In the last couple of years, we've been able to transition our, our full line over to, to air mid folding beads. Yeah. And why is that bead there? Is it to hold the, the sort of circle shape of the tire? Is it part of how exactly. the tire interfaces with the rim? Like, yeah. So it's, it's to give, give the tire like, yeah, that's what interfaces with your rim. That's what determines what diameter um you know the finished product is going to be so yeah that's 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 everything that's how how your tire attaches to your bike attaches to the wheel you know that interface um you know the, the tolerances there determine like how how tight the the tire fits to the rim um so yeah and that's that's again that's a trade-off because you don't want something too loose because then you know you could you know risk to have the tire blowing off but if it's too tight, then you risk damaging the bead during installation. Because you can still, you can still damage a, a Kevlar bead. It's uh-huh. it's harder to do than a than a carbon bead, but um, I have seen it. So, um, yeah. yeah, finding that that correct tolerance where the tire fits, um, so it's you know it's easy enough to mount, but it's still secure. So yeah, and I guess the tighter the tolerance, the more expensive the manufacturing is, right? So you've got to find that perfect balance again between not making the product prohibitively expensive, but making sure that it functions and doesn't pop off the first time you ride around a corner or whatever happens to be. And I guess that that, has that got more, even more important with the sort of popularity of tubeless these days, because you haven't got that, that tube there as a pressure in the same way, kind of pushing the tire up against the, yeah. And a lot of that, um, yeah, so the, the tolerance is important and then the actual shape of the bead is very important as well. So if you look if you look at the bead shape on uh, one of our tubeless ready tires versus our a tube type only tire, so a tire you, you cannot run tubeless, um, the actual profile of the bead is going to vary slightly. Uh-huh. And that's just to, again, like for the tubeless side of things, provide a better interface with the rim. Yeah. And that tube, that um, that tolerance again is going to dictate how easy it is to pump up tubeless, I guess. Because if it's again, if it's too loose, right, the air is just going to yeah. seep out, and you're going to need some kind of compressor to get it on. So 
yeah, I guess there's that holy grail of a tie, just pop on and a couple of squirts with a regular pump and up it goes, which I have had on, on a few occasions recently. So it feels like people are getting closer to that, that perfect tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying. And it's also, it's hard. I mean, it's difficult because, um, you know, we don't manufacture rims. Like we, we can't test every possible tire and rim combination. Um, you know, we manufacture our tires to ETRTO standards, which is the European technical something organization. They, they create a bunch of rules that, um, manufacturers are supposed to follow. So, we yeah. manufacture our, our tires to the to the tolerances dictated within the ETRTO guidelines, but uh, not every rim manufacturer does necessarily. So, um, you know whether that's a good or bad thing. Like, I, it's, it, we can't really say. Like I said, because we just can't test like every single tire and rim combination. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's let's talk a little bit then about the the compound because you can have tires that look pretty much identical, but, but the different compounds are going to make a massive difference to how they perform. I think you guys in Mac bikes, you break it down into three. Is it max speed, max terror, max grip? Is that how it works? Um, well that is our sort of, yes. So we have, um, that's our, our triple compound line. So we have, um, basically you can have a single compound tire and that means that you have one, durometer of rubber and durometer refers to um to the uh i know i'm sure some engineers are gonna get really mad at me right now but basically how how hard or soft the rubber is to really Uh simplify it so um a lower shore number on the durometer scale means that it's a, a softer generally speaking it's a softer slower rebounding stickier tire while a higher shore number is gonna mean that it's a it's a firmer rubber so single compound tires, um, they're, they, they tend to be slightly more price point items again, cause it's, you know, it's easier to manufacture. There's only one, one compound used in the tread extrusion. Um, and we do, you know, you're probably going to see a lot of that, like I said, on our, our kind of like, um, you know, more entry level tires, the, the lower spec tires, um, and, and in other areas where maybe it doesn't make sense to have a dual or a triple compound where there's not very, maybe like a very large benefit to having that. So, I mean, maybe like a, you know, a dirt jump tire or something like that, something like highly specific um, might have just a single compound. Then you have dual compound, which uh, you might be able to surmise. It means there's two different uh, rubber compounds that are used in the tread. Um, So the idea is, the combining the compounds lets you kind of get the, you know, the best of both worlds sort of thing. So you have, you know, you're able to, to use a firm base layer underneath the knobs and that's what gives the knobs like good support. Um, so they're not wiggling around underneath you and then you can use a softer top layer and that's, what's going to give you your actual grip. Okay. Um, and then our triple compound again, that's three. So you have three compounds. So again, um, that's just adding another intermediate layer in between the, the dual compounds. So, um, that's our, that's our premier, uh, compound technology currently is our, our three C line. And then we do have basically three different formulations of that. So we have three C max speed, three C max Terra and three C max grip. And the names are, um, hopefully, uh, 
should give you some uh, inclination as to what what they're intended for. So max speed, you're predominantly going to find on our our cross country, you know, down country light light trail tires, and then yeah. max terror is kind of just our our good do it all trail compound. Um, you know, mixed conditions. Kind of, it's kind of like you know, that's just a good set it and forget it compound. You know, if you don't, if you're if like here in Georgia in the U.S., like you could change your tires every day based on the weather. You know, it might be (laughs) bone dry and like 90 degrees and the trails are like concrete. They're baked solid. And then it could rain overnight and it's, you know, it's muddy like and greasy the next day. So something like the Max Terra is going to just be a good, you know, good overall like compromise again um, for all those factors. And then Max Grip, that's our, our gravity and, and, uh, downhill specific uh formulation of of 3c and that's that's what that's going to be a slower rebounding rubber um meaning like if you like poke the knob or twist the knob you'll see it it'll it takes longer to come back to its original shape so if you're in a bike shop and you see um you know you have two similar tires and they have different compounds you can actually kind of squeeze the knobs and give them a twist and see how they, how quick they return to their original shape gives you a little bit of an idea of, of what kind of compound you're dealing with. Okay. And is there a a performance benefit to the slower rebound element of the softer, um, sure hardness rubber as well as the actual kind of increased grip? So, yeah, so you're getting the increased grip and then the, the slower rebounding is going to help it, um, just conform to the terrain better. So it's going to ping off of roots and rocks less, less deflection. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically it's intended to, you know, help you hold your line as best as possible. Okay. Interesting. So what, yeah, what, um, what might lead you to pick max grip versus max terror? I'm guessing a lot of the people listening to this will be kind of gravity focused, due yeah. to the nature of the podcast what, what kind of steer would you give people on max grip versus max terror um i would say max grip is if you're riding the steeper and gnarlier the trails you're riding the the wetter the trails you're riding the more you're going to want a max grip tire um whereas max terra like i said it, it's bit more of an all-arounder so if you're kind of on the drier end of the spectrum then that's what i would recommend but yeah if you you know if you're doing um downhill racing or or anytime when you want the most performance the uh the max grip is going to be what you want um the the trade-off is it is going to roll a little bit slower than Uh the max terra so again that that needs to factor into your decision so um, you know, do you, is, is rolling, how important is rolling speed to you basically? And if that's something you really prioritize, then, you know, maybe you want to go with the max Terra instead of the max grip, just because it's yeah. going to be a little faster rolling. Would you ever consider then, I guess, like a max grip on the front and a max Terra on the rear? Cause I'm guessing they're going to, the max grip's going to wear a little bit faster too. It does. Yeah. Um, that's a great point. Yeah. We, you, we recommend um, mixing and matching. Definitely, if you're looking to 
get the most performance out of your your bike and you know while also being cost efficient definitely going with a a 3c up front because you know that's that's your steering that's where most of your grip is going the rear of the bike is going to follow wherever the front of the bike's going so you know you want your that that's generally why you see um front tires if if people are running like mismatched tread patterns or mismatched widths they generally have the more aggressive wider tire on the front yeah um, and then they have the narrower slightly faster rolling tire on the rear because you know we have to pedal our bikes so you want you want that um you know you want the efficiency you want the decreased rolling resistance from the you know from the the narrower tire um and then you want that traction you want that grip um and confidence from that wider tire on the front um but yeah so we recommend um 3c max grip on the front that's that's gonna be you know your the most grip that we offer um and then either a max terra or even a dual compound if you're you know really trying to pinch pennies a dual compound on the rear can be a great option as well we see that that's a pretty common um bike park setup actually okay um you know especially uh with how brutal some of the bike parks can be you know you really wear through rear tires um a lot faster than than the front so yeah we see a lot of people doing that um you know because you can get probably you know um i don't know mileage wise but you 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 get a lot of a lot more life out of a, Uh a dual compound tire yeah do you have a feel for like i mean you've got a lot of top ews races using your product would they tend to favor like optimum grip always and run like yes. a max grip front and rear? They're willing, they're yeah. willing to pedal and sacrifice a little bit of rolling resistance. Absolutely. Cause it's all, you know, the, these are the, the fittest, some of the fittest athletes in the world. They can, they'll, they'll, they'll trade the, take the trade off in grams and decrease rolling resistance on the transfers for the, for the grip going down for sure. Yeah. Oh, interesting let's so let's move on from that and talk a little bit about tire construction then because i think that's where it gets really really hard to kind of visualize what's going on but also has a huge impact on how the product performs so yeah just tell us a little bit a bit about the kind of elements that go into the construction of a tire and how they all interact and work together because they're gonna have an impact on grip ride feel puncture resistance all sorts of things right absolutely yeah this is this is definitely where it can get um, get confusing. I mean, even for even for me, honestly. Um, but you have because you can have two tires that look identical. You know, you're holding them in the hand in your hand, and they're they're the same tread pattern, they're the same size, um, but the construction could be completely different on them, and and really give two tires that look identical. It gives them two different use case scenarios. You know, yeah. so for instance. Um, well, to answer your, your question, so um, so the construction, we talked about the bead. So that's kind of like the, you know, that's the framework of the tire. Um, that's uh-huh. kind of like the foundation without the beads. Obviously, nothing, um, you can't do anything else. So you have, you have your beads, you have a bead on either side. Um, and then you actually have the casing um, itself. So that's a, we get it in these huge rolls. It, it looks just like a, a huge roll of cloth. It's this is nylon cloth. And we have... We have a few different options, but mostly what people are going to see on the market is either 60 TPI or 120 TPI casings. Okay. And what that refers to, TPI is threads per inch. So right. 60 TPI means if you take one square inch of that fabric, you'd count 
60 threads across of it, and then 120 TPI, that means there's 120 threads in that inch square. So okay. the the difference between the two, obviously, if you're packing twice as many threads into the same area, the individual threads themselves are smaller. So okay. that means what that means in performance is um, you get uh, a better ride feel with the higher TPI, uh, like better ride quality. It conforms more easily to the terrain and it's lighter. But then the flip side, again, as we've been talking about uh, all day, the is trade-offs. Um, yeah. So the 120 TPI is going to be more fragile than the than the 60 TPI casing. I like okay. to think about it as the difference between like a cotton and silk shirt. You know, they're both uh-huh. doing like the same job, but like one is one feels better against your skin than the other one, right? So yeah, that's uh, that's basically the difference between the 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 casings that we offer and then from there as you mentioned um we have a variety of puncture protection options um and we have a lot of different uh you know marketing names for them but the real important uh thing to take away is there's basically you where the puncture protection is so you can have in the sidewalls and that's what we refer to as exo um and then you have you can have something underneath the tread um and that's we call that a breaker layer. Um, so mm-hmm. if you, you hear somebody use the term, you know, it's a, a breaker puncture protection layer. They are referring to uh, some an extra material in addition to the casing that's added underneath for puncture protection. And then okay. we can have something that goes from bead to bead. So like it could be a material that is again, added to the casing, but stretches from, from the, each side of the tire to the other. Um, and the one other one that we have along the kind of puncture protection is uh, a butyl sidewall insert. And what that is, that's found on our, um, our, our Enduro tires, which are our double down construction and our downhill, um, tires that that's, uh, it's a, essentially a strip of butyl rubber that extends from the bead up into the sidewall. And what that does is is a couple things. It gives you sidewall support during cornering. Um, it helps dampen or damp the ride a little bit, damp impacts, and it provides some um, pinch flat protection both for the tire itself and from damaging the rim. Like if you yeah. you know come across a square edge hit. So yeah, so we have a variety of of puncture protections, um, variety of constructions. And I, I know it can be overwhelming, but it's really worth taking the time to, um, you know, to go through our line and, uh, you know, figure out what your needs are and then what product that we offer then covers those needs. Yeah. And I guess for, again, for people listening, it, it's probably like XO, XO plus double down and downhill case into the four options that you'd be choosing from, I guess, from like light, lightest in both actual weight and kind of durability i suppose up to the downhill casing like how exactly yeah how how do you uh how do you go about deciding where you should be running in that scale of like yeah durability effectively because it's again it's it's about how much how much weight uh am i willing to carry versus the risk of 
punctures, rim damage, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Is that, is that the sort of the main trade off here? Exactly. And a lot of it, and I get, this is really daunting for, for newer riders. Um, but some of it at you, you know, you have to think about like what kind of rider you are, what kind of bike you have, what your what the terrain you're riding most often is like, um, and then kind of decide from there. Like myself, I'm a, I'm a bigger guy. Um, I'm about 190 pounds, like six feet tall. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm being a bigger guy, uh, destroying lots of tires and wheels. Um, it gets to be really expensive. And, uh, I, I kind of decided I needed to, to do something about it, change my, change my riding style, learn to adapt, ride smoother, ride lighter on the bike. Um, and, and I've been able to do that and kind of adapt my riding style and change it over the years to where I can, um, you know, surprisingly in a lot of, you know, areas around here, which are, are fairly rugged, I can get away with, um, XO, XO plus, like I don't always need a, a double down or a downhill tire unless I'm you know, going to a full on bike park. So a lot of it is, um, it's all, it's all very subjective. So that's, it's, it's, it's hard for me to say like, this is going to be the right tire for, you know, every single person of, of this type. But, um, but yeah, basically it's, it XO is kind of what we recommend for, uh, cross country, that's what you're going to find on pretty much our entire cross country line. It's going to have XO protection. Um, and those are a lot of our cross country tires are going to use that 120 TPI casing. So they're going to use that lighter weight casing. And then the XO is there in the sidewalls to prevent, uh, like sidewall cuts, uh, mostly from abrasions. You know, if you're like riding through a section and the sidewall of your tire is, is grazing against roots or rocks or something like that. That's what EXO is intended for. Um, and EXO is a durable material, but again, like this is more like a cross country level of puncture protection. So okay. now we offer EXO plus, which has the sidewall material plus another layer that's added from bead to bead. So that's giving you a little bit more support, but then you're also getting under tread puncture protection there so you're getting a little bit more um we're getting more sidewall protection and then a layer underneath the tread and then the double down is our enduro casing and that uses our um two layers of 120 tpi casing and then a butyl sidewall insert um and our downhill tires essentially the same construction but the only difference being we use 60 tpi casing on the downhill versus the 120 on the double down. And that's just down to uh strength basically. The 60 TPI okay. casing again is going to be is going to be stronger. So if you're going 60 versus 120, like the 60 is going to be stronger, two layers of 120 versus two layers of 60, the two layers of 60 is going to be stronger. So yeah. the the you know a lot of people ask about the, you know, like why do we have double down and downhill? And it's mostly comes down to ride field. There's not a whole lot of difference in weight between the two. Like they're going to double down in most cases is going to be marginally lighter than the, than the downhill tire, but, um, it's really ride feel. And some people like how that 120 TPI casing, you know, it's, it's a little more compliant. It conforms to the terrain a little bit better compared to our full on downhill casing. So a lot of people like that and they choose the double down, but, um, 
you know, we do have plenty of EWS racers that just like that, that, you know, ultimate, you know, strength of the downhill tire. So they run downhill casings on, uh, on their enduro bikes. Yeah. It's going to be a stiffer feeling tire as well, I guess, as yes. you work your way up from XO through XO plus. Exactly. To, to DH. Yeah. And what, how might that kind of feel to people? Is it, it's probably quite hard to explain, I guess, but like, what does a, what does a stiffer tire carcass do to ride feel? Um, so let's, if we were keeping the, the pressures constant across the range, you would definitely notice a, um, a, a different feeling. So let's say, you know, you had a tire and, and we're pumping them up to, you know, 25 PSI. Um, and you're riding the, the same trail. Um, everything's the same except the construction uh, of the tires. You're going to, you're definitely going to notice, um, you know, the, a stiffer feeling as you go up. So it's going to be, um, you're going to have more sidewall support in the corners. Um, you're going to, you're going to feel less, um, feel less feedback from impacts into objects. Um, because that, that casing is absorbing a lot of that force. Um, but then also you're going up in weight, you know, so that's the, that's the other trade-off, but what the, the stiffer casings allow you to do is also, you know, kind of run, run more appropriate pressure. So mm-hmm. like if you're running, you know, again, tire pressures, I'm sure a topic we'll get into later, but it's, it's highly, highly personal and highly yeah, dependent. Sure. But, um, but if you were, uh, to get a similar feel, if you were looking like let's say you start with an exo tire and we're ending on a downhill to get a similar feel, you could run less pressure like up, like as you go. Okay. Yeah. Up yeah, in yeah, the yeah. casings, you can drop yeah. your pressure and, and then you're going to get, you're going to get more performance in terms of like your, you know, your cornering and your braking and your, and how it's conforming to the, uh, how the tire is conforming to the terrain uh-huh. um, at a lower pressure. Got you. Have you got, have you got a rough feel for like, how much the PSI difference would be between like an XO and a DH to get a similar overall stiffness, like for them to feel similar in, in that respect, are we talking like two PSI or 10 PSI? Like, is it a big difference? It's, it's going to be a fairly large difference just in terms of the percentage change, right? Because, Uh you know, if you're starting with, you know, 25 PSI and you take two, three PSI out percentage wise, that's still fairly, you're like, yeah. oh, that's only two or three PSI. But, you know, when you're talking about, well, you only started out with 25. So, um, uh-huh. I mean, I can't, I can't say like a general rule of thumb necessarily, but I know for me personally, like when I ride XO on my bike, um, I like, I like a little stiffer feeling to my tires. I like, yeah. um, I like my tires to feel, uh, very precise, um, which is why like I'm, I've never been like a big fan of like plus tires or anything like that. It's always just a little too vague for me. Okay. Um, so I like a really, I want to know what my tires are doing. I want to be able to feel them, um, braking. I want to be able to feel them in the corners. I just, I, I want that. So on an EXO, um, tire, I'm generally running, let's say 20, 26 to 28 PSI in the rear. Yeah. Um, and then, and that's with a, uh, like a 2.4 or 2.5, um, uh, minion. So I'm either running, yeah. 
either typically run a DHR or, or DHF. Um, so yes, let's say 26 to 28 PSI on the rear. And then I do my riding style. I don't tend to ride a little on the back of the bike. So I can run, even with EXO, I can run like 21 PSI, 21, 22 PSI in the front. Uh-huh. Um, and when I go over to a double down setup, I can run 22 PSI in the rear and like, right. like 18 or 19 in the front. If I wanted to, I usually keep it right around okay. I don't, like 20. Um, yeah. so it's a pretty good, you know, you're talking yeah. about, um, you know, six, seven PSI that lower that I can run and still have, I'm still getting for me for my, again, this is all highly dependent. So this is, this is my personal experience here. Um, but I, I, that still provides me with that precise feel that I'm looking for. I'm still getting the yeah. ride quality I want at 20, 21, 22 PSI with a double down, um, that an EXO at 27 PSI is providing. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's quite a big difference then. So yeah, I guess it comes down to people being fairly honest with themselves about their riding style, the terrain they're riding on, how aggressive they are in, you know, in a turn, how much load they're putting through the tires to work out where in the kind of the casing range that they ought to sit to get the best trade-off. So maybe, I mean, it's an expensive hobby to, to try too many different tires, but yeah, to actually, to give some stuff a go, but maybe even to play around with the pressures in the tires, they've already got to see how, because that, that will, I guess, to some extent simulate how a change in stiffness feels. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, uh, to a, to a certain degree for sure. Um yeah, I mean that's a it's an easy experiment that anyone can do, you know, take a you know, take a take a pressure gauge with you to your local trailhead or or, you know, somewhere you can do a short loop, come back to the car, change your tire pressure and then go back out and you can yeah, really really experiment and feel the difference and it is expensive. Like I I definitely get it. Bikes are expensive, our tires are expensive. I mean, it's mountain biking in, in general can be a very expensive sport. And so, and, you know, we, we offer a, a lot of options. So I get how, you know, you kind of get into the analysis paralysis uh, sort of situation where you're just overwhelmed by the choices. But uh, again, like I said, I mean, it's really, it's really worth taking the time to, to, you know, to dial those things in. If you're, if you, you know, really looking for the best, best, uh, you know, overall performance for whatever you're riding. And that, you know, a lot of that can be, I mean, if it's, if it's daunting to you, if you're a newer rider or, you know, even, I mean, there's plenty of seasoned riders that just don't care about like the super nerdy tech side of things. Like there's, I know plenty of riders that like they wouldn't be able to change their flat trail side, you know, but they can send any line in the woods. So, um, (laughs) So yeah, so it's if if you're if you're new to it, you know, take some time poking around our website, but you know, talk to your mates. Like what are your friends riding? Like what do they have on their bikes? Like anyone, you know, talk to people who have more experience than you. Um, talk to your local bike shop, you know, see what see what the riders there recommend. Um, yeah, there's in general, you know, mountain bikers are very uh open and willing to to help each other. So um yeah, just I would say just or you know, reach out to us on social media or whatever. If you have, uh, you know, questions about, you know, if you're, you're staying up late at night and fretting over what tire to buy, um, hopefully we can get you pointed in the right direction. 
Nice one. Yeah, and tire, I mean, tyres are really important, right? They're the first point of contact with the ground. They're the first p- piece of a bike suspension, I think, which a lot of people maybe don't give the consideration to. But how a tyre responds is going to have a big impact on how the bike rides. So putting some time into picking wisely, but also keeping an eye on your tyre tire pressures fairly accurately and and changing those a bit and seeing how that changes the way the bike rides is 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 well worth a bit of time i think absolutely absolutely yeah i mean um yeah so as you mentioned i mean your tires that's your first point of contact with the ground you know so arguably i mean it's it's right up there with the most important components on your bicycle i would i would argue of course i'm a little biased but (laughs) um uh yeah if you think about when you're just cruising along a trail in an ideal situation, if everything's going well, your tires are the only thing that's in contact with the ground. If something else is in contact with the ground, it's <laughs> probably a bad situation. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. And then if you're, if you think about it, when you hit a drop, um, if you see any of those like super slow-mo, you know, huck videos, like watch like the tires, well, the body kind of absorbs the impact first, right? So your, your legs and your arms are, are compressing and then your tires hit and you can actually see, I mean, the tires, the tires are moving all over the place before, you know, before the suspension even has a chance to react. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's, it's, you know, it's really vital that you take the time to, to, you know, to, to get the right, right tire for, for your conditions that you're riding. Yeah. And one thing we've not really talked much about is tire width. Cause there's generally a few options. You guys have the wide trail, uh, kind of side of the range as well now just give us a bit of thoughts on how people might might look to you know what width to select because there's, there's, there's generally more than one option yeah so most of our our trail tires are going to be kind of like in the 2.3 to 2.6 range we do make a couple of 2.8 inch tires but um you know, for the purposes of this conversation, and I think we're mostly talking about that kind of two, three to two, six range. Um, so a narrow tire, it's going to, it's going to give you a little bit better feeling of precision. So again, if that's like something you, you really like, um, like a very precise, accurate feeling tire, like, you know, exactly what it's going to do. Um, like a narrower tire is going to provide that it's going to be a little bit lighter. Um, and, you know, therefore probably slightly faster rolling. Um, but you're losing out on some tire volume. So that's like how much air the tire itself can hold and what you're losing out with air volume. If you go with the smaller tire, um, you're, you're not going to be able to run as low tire pressure. Um, so you're not going to have as much compliance in the casing, you know, the tire is not going to conform to the terrain quite as well. Um, mm-hmm. so if we're, you know, talking about, um, uh, a 2.3 versus a 2.5, like, you know, you're going to be able to run quite a bit lower pressure in that 2.5. And it's just going to give you, uh, like just a better overall ride quality. Um, and, and, and I think more comfort, honestly. Okay. And is there, is there anything because you've got the wide trail like WT is is I guess the kind of marketing name like is there anything different in the tire other than the width of the wide trails have you adjusted other things Yeah so we we did so wide trail is basically 
what we came up with to differentiate our our older 2.5 inch tires from from the newer generation and okay um pretty much all like all the older 2.5 tires that we make are are no longer uh no longer in production um okay you might be able to find a you know 2625 minion here or there um but all of our newer uh you know 2.4 2.5 2.6 stuff we designate it as wide trail and all that means is it's been designed around a, a more modern wider rim um okay because you know rims rims started getting wider first um before tires did uh, and the wider rim again what that lets you do lets you run lower pressure um uh if you're running tubeless um again so you're getting more more of that compliance and more improved ride feel etc all the things that we've talked about um but rims started getting really wide and the older tires that are were designed around narrow rim widths they started getting too squared off and what that means okay. like if you look at the tire profile you start pulling those beads further and further apart with a wider rim the sidewalls are getting more and more vertical and that's flattening the profile of the tire so it ends up looking you know more like a like a car tire almost than than the nice you know more rounded profile of a okay. of a mountain bike or, or motorcycle tire and yeah. the flatter profile what that does is um that that means like the knobs aren't where the designers intended them to be right like we want the side knobs on the side of the tire and we want them like angled out and we only want them in contact really when we're when we're cornering yeah um but if you have a tire that's on on too wide of a rim and it's all flat essentially your side knobs are in contact with the ground at all times so uh -huh. that's slowing you down that's that's making your 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 bike roll slower because all that rubber is constantly in contact with the ground and then also your your cornering performance is going to be garbage because you don't have any side knobs essentially you know so you're more steering than leaning and that's not how we ride bikes you know we lean bikes to turn them we don't steer them so yeah. um so wide trail was our way of just letting people know that like hey we've seen like we see the markets going this way like um you know i think ibis was one of the one of the first big companies to really get on board pushing this wider rim trend and now i mean 30 millimeter wide rims are pretty much the the industry standard on new bikes i think you'd be kind of hard pressed to go buy a new trail or an enduro bike with anything narrower than that currently um yeah so we designed our wide trail stuff around 35 millimeter rims that was what we used um you know during the whole engineering process um they we we recommend a 30 to 35 millimeter internal width range uh -huh. but like i think one of the things that we can do a better job letting people know is like you can you can run it on a narrower rim within reason i mean like if you have some old you know, if you're pulling out some old Mavics that are like 18 or 19 mil internal, like that's, that's not going to work because you run yeah. into a different problem there. When the beads are too close together, you end up with like a light bulb shaped tire. And then, then like, you're never going to be able to reach those side knobs, you know, because by the time you lean over, you're on the ground, like yeah. they're, they're yeah, so yeah. far over to the side that you have the, the opposite thing. So, um, so yeah, so that's why. You know, that's why we recommend that 30 to 35. But I mean, as long as you're kind of like 
in the like I don't know, 25 to like maybe 40 at the upper end of the range, I think you're, I think you're fine. Like you're, you know, your bike isn't going to self-destruct if you put, you know, a wide trail tire on a, on a 25 millimeter rim. So, um, so yeah, that's fine. That's a question we get a lot. People are like, Oh, you know, I want a 2.4, I want a 2.5, but like I have 28 millimeter rims and it's like, that's totally fine. Like you're going to be, you're, you're, yeah, you'll, you'll still have a good experience. Like it's been optimized for that 30 to 35. Um, so is it going to be like the, like, is it going to be optimal performance? Maybe not, but it's going to be, uh, very close. So, okay. So yeah, so that's, that's the, yeah, so the wide trail basically just means, you know, tires, tires designed for modern rims and wheels. Yeah. Cool. Well, let, let's talk about, about like how people might, choose the model i guess from the maxis range and, I, and i'm guessing there's probably three that will be super interesting to our audience so dhf the minion dhf minion dhr and the Asagai, i guess are the probably the main three would you say that like the gravity riders are choosing from um yeah i would probably also include in there the shorty um okay um it's a little more you know condition condition specific um and then the the dissector as well um so that's kind of our our core gravity range i would say um so the minion the minion line is the dhf and the dhr um they the dhf is was designed as a front tire the dhr was designed as a rear and if you look at the um look at the tread side by side you can they they share basically the same side knobs like the it's a very similar design there but if you look mm-hmm. at those center knobs that's where you see big differences and a dhf has um narrower w- knobs um and with really heavy ramping on them and uh that big channel cut sipe we were talking about earlier and that's yeah. just to give a nice transition over to the side knobs um and then if you look at the dhr the center knobs they're they're a lot broader so they're a lot wider and they have really um really tall sharp backs on them so it's like the back side of the knob is is basically there's no there's it's just a straight line there's no angle to it or anything and that's actually yeah. your breaking edge of your knob okay so that's that's really what differentiates uh the of front specific tire and a rear specific tire um it's like different duties you know you want um you want that like more braking on the rear typically so that's why they're, um, you know, labeled and designed as, as front and rear. Um, lots of people like to mix and match. Um, you know, you yeah, see yeah. plenty of people running DHS front and rear. I'm actually doing that right now. I haven't, um, I haven't done that in years. And I was just like, I'm going to do this dual DHF thing for a while. And it's, <laughs> um, it's a distinctly different feeling than a DHF, uh, and DHR combo. Um, it's a little bit looser. It's a little bit more playful. Like you don't have, you definitely don't have the braking, um, which, you know, I definitely had to readjust to in, uh, um, in trail riding situations, like your braking points are different because you don't have that massive solid broad knob in the middle, like absorbing all the braking forces you have, um, you know, taller, uh, narrower knobs. Um, so they're, they're squirming around more under braking and they can't give you that, 
real hard drop the anchor bite that the, the uh-huh. that the dhr does so again that's like personal preference like some people like that real like drifty loose playful feeling of the of the dual um dhfs some people like like danny hart um when he was riding for us uh troy brosnan is another one i mean even greg menard they run the they run dual dhrs and yeah. that's because you're getting that excellent braking traction front and rear the cornering is the same because they share the same uh, side knobs. This is a DHF, like I said earlier, DHF, DHR, same side knobs. So the cornering characteristics are very similar, but it's the braking that really differentiates the two. So World Cup, obviously, um, you know, the fastest people on the planet hurtling themselves down the mountain. They want the most braking. So that's why you see a lot of that that DHR front and rear combo. Okay, yeah. Um, where so where does the Asagai fit in with those things? Cause that's more of a front specific tie. Yeah? yeah, it really is. Um, we're I mean we don't um, you know market it specifically as a front, but it really um, I mean it makes a great front tire. Um, we see plenty of people running it front and rear too, but that's kind of um, that's kind of for the for the gnarliest terrain um, the. Yeah, just just the most rugged trails. Um, you know, we see a lot of uh, the EWS teams riding the the Asagai front and rear. I know it's it's one okay. of Richie Rude's favorite. Um, is is the dual um, front and rear? So yeah, um, yeah, the Asagai. I would say. I mean, when you just want the most everything, it's the <laughs> when you want them except rolling speed. Um, yeah. So when you want the most cornering traction you want the most braking traction um that's that's what you want is the is the asagai um and then uh the dissector which is troy brosnan's um signature tire we worked on him with that's kind of positioned more as a as a rear tire the the knobs are um a little bit smaller uh than the dhf or the dhr and especially the asagai um and the and the tread pattern is a little more tightly packed and that's why uh that is kind of geared more as a, a rear specific tire okay. at least in gravity applications it makes a great um trail tire if you're you know if you're like kind of in that more you know 120 to 140 mil travel range um yeah. it's a great and again going back picking the select the correct tire construction would be important there so if, you know if you're putting a dissector on your trail bike, you know, you want to be able, you want to be sure you're picking a trail appropriate casing, like an XO or an XO plus, like you wouldn't want to slap a downhill dissector on your bike and on your 120 bike. And yeah, you're going to wonder why it's going so slow. Um, fair play. And then I guess the last one would be the, the shorty and that's our, our mid spike tire. And so that, that's just, uh, you know, pretty simple tread pattern. If you look at it, they're just square knobs, uh, about mid height, lots of space between them. And that's just for softer conditions. And those could, that could be softer due to, you know, being wet, being a little bit muddy, or, um, it's actually really good for like really, really dusty, uh, situations, which I know you guys probably don't get a whole lot of dust in the UK, but, <laughs> um, you know, out West here, um, you know, like Whistler, for example, in, in August is, you know, it's baked, it's bone dry, and there can be like a foot of moon dust and all the berms. And that, uh, that mid spike, it just has, it has very well supported knobs and it really allows them to punch through 
and find traction. So, um, yeah, that's what those, the spiky knobs are doing. They're, they're, they're punching into the ground and finding traction beneath that soft soil, beneath that dust. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I guess again, the downside of that is a, is an increased rolling resistance, right? Right. Yeah. Especially with the shorty, it actually, the, the new version rolls surprisingly well. Um, especially when you compare it to the previous, um, the previous shorty. And that was just basically due to how we changed the arrangement of the, the tread pattern. So where the knobs are, um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a better, the, the new shorty is a better overall tire than the, than the previous one, obviously. I mean, that was okay. the goal. Um, yeah. but it's, it's, a uh, it's a great, it's a great tire. It's, it's actually a little more, um, versatile than, than people might think. Um, it's not, like I said, it is more condition specific than, than something, uh, like a, like a minion, but, um, you know, especially if you're, if your trails are tend to stay wet or you're riding in the shoulder seasons or whatever, uh, the shorty is a good, good option. Yeah. Or if you're a serious racer, I guess, and you want to be prepared at an event in case things turn for the worse weather-wise or get really dusty, then yeah, it's nice to have those as an option to switch to, I suppose. Yeah. And we do, we do have a full spike as well. And that is the wet scream and that's a full on uh-huh. mud spike. That's like a race only tire. Um, and it's, that's very, very condition specific. Like you would not want to run that tire in the dry because the knobs are just too tall. They'd, like you'd just be squirming all around underneath you and it would it would not be it'd, it'd be a handful trying to ride a bike in the dry with wet screams on it but that's <laughs> again that's not um uh we only make the wet scream in a downhill spec um it's it's really only for for muddy race days yeah fair play and am i right in thinking it's the 20th anniversary of the minion dhf this year it is. I know. Believe it that or not, seems wild. So, like, not much stuff hangs around in the mountain bike world for twenty years these days, does it? No, not at all. And I think what's particularly impressive about the the DHF is it's been uh, largely unchanged in in the twenty years, at least in terms of the you know the basic tread pattern layout. Um, uh-huh. You know, obviously, you know, wheels have gotten bigger, um, tires have gotten wider, and so we've had to you know, cut new molds and, and do some re-engineering along the way to keep with the times. But yeah, if you look at a DHF from, from 20 years ago versus one today, you're going to be able to tell it's the same tire. It's just the old one's a little narrower. So yeah, yeah. it's been, it's, it's been really cool. Um, you know, the DHR was designed, um, around at the same time. So they were designed as a pair, but the original DHR was just kind of, it just wasn't a great tire. Uh, it was right. never very well received. Um, and that's why we came out with the, the DHR two, which is what you see now. But, um, we just refer to it as the, as the DHR at this point, cause we don't, we don't even offer that older version of the, of the DHR. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's, so basically the, both the minions, it's their, uh, the, well, the DHR got a refresh a few years ago, but, um, we can still lump it in there and say it's the, uh, the 20th anniversary of the, of the minions amazing good stuff so yeah what does the future hold for tire technology then do you are you guys kind of playing around with new materials new manufacturing techniques are there are there ways that we can reduce some of the trade-offs that we currently have to make with some new technology there are yeah i can't can't get too specific but yeah we're definitely working on our casing technologies and that's that's a big thing like you said is just um 
finding those new materials that are going to, you know, that are going to be stronger, um, but also be lighter, right. Or, or provide a better ride quality or some, some sort of improvement. And, um, yeah, we've seen that, uh, across our entire, entire range, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're doing on the roadside has actually turned out to be applicable to the mountain bike side of things. So, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's always, you know, our engineers are always at work. No one is, uh, you know, taking a day off. Like it's, it's, it's full on always trying to, trying to get better. Um, and like I said, it's been cool. Cause like, you know, you, who would have thought like, um, you know, things that we're doing on the road side of things would, uh, would, would help out our, our mountain bike tires, but, but they yeah. do and vice versa. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's a big thing. I mean, we're, always continuing to tweak our, our rubber compounds. Um, obviously, um, we're always looking at new bead materials, um, you know, new ways of constructing the bead itself. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, uh, there's a lot that goes into it. And, um, and, uh, yeah, we're, like I said, I can't, can't give a whole lot away right now, but yeah, we're, we're very excited where we're, where we're headed with our casing technologies. And we do feel like, um, in the future, we are going to be able to offer, um, you know, some of that enduro and downhill level performance in a lighter package. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. The, the unicorn tire is getting closer. It is. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Nice one. Well, if people want to find out a little bit more about Maxis and the products, like where's the best place for them to look, to find all the information? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, go to maxis.com. That's got our full line there it's got all the tires we make obviously check out the bicycle section uh, since this is a bicycle podcast um and i would say like our, our tire pages they have a lot there's a lot of information on there um it should list all the technologies and stuff that are available and then we also have a tech section on our website if you want to kind of really get nerdy into the into the tech side of things and find out what all that stuff on the sidewall of your tire means um yeah click click around our our technology section um and then i would say you know follow us on on instagram we're super active on there we try to be very responsive as well if people have have questions or comments you know comment on our photos slide into our dms um so we have two accounts we have our maxis tires ig which is our 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 corporate account which covers like all Mm -hmm. again all the tires we make so you'll see automotive stuff you'll see um power sports and motorcycles atv side by sides in addition to bicycle so if you like if you just like cool wheeled vehicles then follow maxis tires if you don't really care about that you only want the the bike stuff we do have a maxis bike instagram account and it's at maxis bike and that's just the bike specific stuff so yeah reach out um we'd we'd be happy to you know to to get get you on Maxis, get your questions answered and, you know, make sure you're on the, on the right product for you. Nice one. So people will get a, get a response there then generally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. absolutely. They, cool. can, so they can reach out to us. Um, and then you can also, um, you know, if you have a longer question or if you don't, you know, you're, you're not, uh, you're not on social media, you can send us an email always, um, at so, it's social media at maxis.com. And okay. uh, someone nice from the one. team will get back to you. 
Oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, we'll put, um, yeah, we'll put links in the show notes to all the website stuff, to the Instagram, and I'll, I'll put a link in for that email address as well. If people aren't in the world of social media, it's probably, probably good on them, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Well, it's been super interesting. Yeah. Chatting, finding out more. I mean, it really is a pretty, uh, a technical part of the bike that most of us, I guess, don't really think too much about other than putting them on and pumping them up so yeah there's a lot a lot that goes on a lot of great work and um yeah hopefully that helps people understand it a bit more and know a little bit about yeah how they should be thinking about which products to choose because there's a lot to choose from but yeah it's worth the effort i think yeah i i I hope so i hope it's been helpful um and and yeah i mean again i think it's it it really is worth the effort that that you put in um, you know, spending that time and, and experimenting and, and finding out what works for you. And then, um, you know, I know a lot of people are, are serial tinkerers. Um, and, and I can definitely be guilty of that as well, but I kind of <laughs> like to, at least with my tires, I like to kind of set it and forget it. So I, you know, I know the tread patterns that work for me. I know the tire pressures that work for me, um, condition dependent, obviously. And, um, that's just what I stick with. And, and yeah, so I'm, I, I like to have, uh, yeah, have a consistent, a consistent feel. Um, so if I'm making other tweaks on my bike, like at least I know, like I know where my tires are at. So, um, yeah, yeah like I said, I know we have a, a pretty daunting array of products and, um, you know, it's not always super fun to like ride a section of trail a bunch of times and tweak and make notes and stuff like that. But it, I, it really is worth it in the long run. Um, and the final thing I'll say, invest in a good pump, invest in a good gauge and, and check your tire pressure regularly. Yeah. A, an accurate digital gauge. Yes. Yeah. Don't, don't trust, uh, uh, the gauge on your floor pump, <laughs> um, <laughs> unless, sure. you know, unless you know that you bought some, you know, super fancy pump that's highly accurate. I would, I would strongly recommend investing in a, uh, in a digital gauge. And always use the same gauge because they might not all read the same, right? Exactly. Your your gauge is 18 PSI might be different from your best mate's 18 PSI on their gauge. So use your, use your uh, gauge and stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good advice, man. Well, thanks a lot for your time. It's been super interesting chatting and, uh, yeah, thanks a lot. You're welcome. Cheers. It's been great. Awesome. Cheers, man. Later. All right, that's it for this episode with Aaron. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A big thank you to Muckoff for supporting this episode. Don't forget to enter our competition to be in with a chance of winning an awesome Muckoff bike-specific pressure washer. Head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash Muckoff now. That's M-U-C-O-F-F. Muckoff are also offering all Downtime listeners 20% off. And all you need to do is use the code DOWNTIME20 at the checkout on muckoff.com. That's Downtime, all one word, all uppercase, followed by the number 20. Also, a massive thanks to PNW Components. They've got stock of their range handlebar ready and waiting for you over at pnwcomponents.com. So if you're in the market for a new bar that works perfectly with the geometry of a modern bike, then the PNW range handlebar is the one for you. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, then you can get your hands on some of our lovely t-shirts and sweatshirts by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all proceeds going to help improve the show. 
Okay, you know what to do by now. Please keep on spreading the word about the podcast. Tell your rider mates, share the episodes on your social media. It makes a massive difference and it really helps me keep this thing going. If you've got a couple of minutes, then I'd really appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts too. All right, there's another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until then, get out and ride. (laughs) 